Fill the Gap, the official podcast series of the CMT Association, hosted by David Lundgren and Tyler Wood. This monthly podcast will bring veteran market analysts and money managers into conversations that will explore the interviewee's investment philosophy, their process, and decision-making tools. By learning more about their key mentors, early influences, and their long careers in financial services, Fill the Gap will highlight lessons our guests have learned over many decades and multiple market cycles. Join us in conversation with the men and women of Wall Street who discovered, engineered, and refined the discipline of technical market analysis. app is brought to you with support from Optima, a professional charting and data analytics platform. Whether you're a professional analyst, portfolio manager, or trader, Optima provides advanced technical and quantitative software to help you discover financial opportunities. Candidates in the CMT program gain free access to these powerful tools during the course of their study. Learn more at Optima.com. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Fill the Gap. Today, we are joined by our special guest, Buff Dormeyer, uh, perhaps the world's greatest expert in volume analysis. Uh, Dave Lundgren, what did you think of today's conversation? Well, let, let's just say that my my head hurts, my brain hurts. I mean, <laughs> I, I've never thought about volume so deeply in my entire life, and I've been doing this a long time. But thank goodness we had this conversation because it really shed a lot of light on on the 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 importance of volume, um, and frankly, how it's been misused and how it can be better used. And you know, uh, Buff basically did a deep dive on the, on those concepts, and he's come up with his own indicators. He's got an ETF launching soon that kind of puts this what he calls a factor. He refers to which is astonishing to me. He's referring to volume as a as the leading factor to all factors. And I mean, it's just a phenomenal conversation yeah. that I frankly wasn't really expecting it to be this. Like I'm, I'm gonna like I said, my my head hurts. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of really provocative uh, yeah. concepts, statements, awesome. and and certainly, uh, you know, it it harkens back to our interview with John Bollinger uh, two years ago, actually, yep. episode episode twelve, uh, December of twenty one, when when John said anybody can do what I do. There's there's a a, a constant and very ripe field of uh, new data points to be looking at, and I think. Uh, your quote, always, Dave, saying the market knows everything we know and everything we don't know. And so to have this conversation with Buff about a field where I think a lot of uh, modern day technicians kind of discount volume. They think, mm -hmm. you know, the move to decimalization or Dude, I'm one of trading. Them. Yeah, I'm one of them. I, I unless it's unless it's uh, an analyzing volume on on a breakout. And even then, I'm kind of like suspect because there's a lot of a lot of uh, breakouts that have happened on lo low volume that I didn't go with because it was low volume and I regret it. <laughs> you know, so so this was a really eye-opening conversation for me, and I really really appreciated it. Uh, me as well, and uh, I, I think the uh, the fact that Buff is so diligent in his effort to even produce the indicators, the the amount of work that goes in there, I think is uh, is only paralleled by the amount of work he puts into the academic community, to volunteering yeah. his time, to contributing to the body of knowledge. And uh, take it from two fresh converts, this episode is going to change the way you think about <laughs> volume. So welcome to episode 35 of Fill the Gap with our special guest, Buff Dormeyer. Welcome to episode 35 of Fill the Gap, the CMT Association's official podcast. My name is Dave Lundgren, and as always, I am joined by my good friend and fellow CMT charter holder, Tyler Wood. Today, we'll discuss many concepts, of course, but in particular, the use of volume in stock selection and market analysis. So this, this concept of volume uh, in volume analysis has its roots as far back as the late 1800s. So it's well studied, but still quite controversial. So to shed light on this important topic, who better to bring into our, into the conversation as our guest today, but Buff Dormier. So Buff is the chief technical analyst at and, and portfolio manager at King's View Investment Partners. Buff earned his CMT charter in 2001, and since then he has been a prolific contributor to the technical analysis body of knowledge, and has also been a very uh, generous 
volunteer of his time on, on, through various positions through the CMT Association. Uh, Buff earned the Charles H. Dow Award for his 2007 paper titled Price and Volume, Digging in Deeper. And then he followed that up with an award-winning book called Investing with Volume Analysis. He's uh, he's done many uh, member webinars on various topics throughout uh, through the CMT Association, all of which, of course, are available to members uh, for, for review on the site. So without further delay, let's turn up the volume. Buff Dormier, <laughs> welcome to Fill the Gap. Who let the cool hey. kid in here, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Buff, great to see you. Hey, so good to be with you, Tyler. Dave? Thanks for joining us. Uh, really glad to have you on. I can't wait to d dive into this uh, topic because it's one that I've struggled with in terms of its validity and how to use it and how best to respond to the data. Um, so I'm hoping to learn a tremendous amount and, and just share a great conversation with, with our members and, and others, of course. But before we dive into volume in specific and then other things that you want to talk about, Maybe you can spend a little bit of time uh, telling our listeners about yourself, what got you into the markets, and in particular, what got you into technical analysis. So I started out as a uh, retail broker, and they're called financial advisors right now, but I was really of the generation where it was mm. brokers that were stock picking. And so I was right out of college. I, I was probably 22 years old. And uh, I would get carded when I went to an R-rated movie. So it, was, it wasn't an easy start for me. So what, what we had there when we started out, I started out with, at uh, Payne Weber, and we had a squawk box. And the squawk mm. box would come on, and all day they'd tell you these stock stories. And so I worked really hard. I, I, I listened to the stock stories. I got these stories down packed, and then I would just start dialing, trying to sell these stories. Well, over a course of time, I started collecting a few few clients, not a whole lot, but it was starting to, to build up. And I had this problem is that I had all these stocks, but they weren't doing anything. They weren't they weren't moving. And I and, and I needed a three bagger. I needed the stock to go up so I could sell it and earn another commission and then buy something else so I could get another commission. And that just wasn't happening. Yeah. Well one day I was as you know there was always um, a guy that would come on and he never gave a story. That was uh, Jeff Weiss. You guys know Jeff? Yes, of course. Jeff, Absolutely, Jeff yeah. Weiss was the, was the chief technical analyst at Payne Weber. And he came on. He never told you a story. He just told you what to buy. And by God, it seemed like all his ideas went up. I'm like, well, that works for me. So I started following him. And not only did his stocks go up, when they didn't, he'd say, hey, it's time to move away from this and find. let's try to find another one. So he admitted when he was wrong. That was something that none of the other people did. And so that's yeah. exactly what I needed. I needed stocks that were moving up. And so that's what I, so one day I was so impressed by this. I was like, how are you figuring out which stocks are going to go up? And he, then he explained that he had three different letters than the other ones. He had, most of the people had the CFA and he had the CMT. And he told me what a market technician was. And he gave me a, a book idea to read. I read the first one and really liked it. The second one, he gave me it was like oh man light bulb just came off i i got it figured out now it's not a, it's not about all these things that the fundamental people are talking about but what people are thinking what they're doing and so um that's that's how i got started at at uh, in in technical analysis yeah th this is incredible like tyler this is our 35th conversation about how did you get into technical analysis and i, I you know, obviously there's many different ways but that has to be the most common it's 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 I had all these other people telling me how to how to you know what stocks to buy. They never worked, but this one guy who they stuck in the corner, whenever he opened his mouth and said something, the stock went up. And not because he said something, but he just he had this process that was actually good at finding stocks. Exactly. Who was he? Well, he was the technician. It, it, how many times have we had that conversation? I love. <laughs> I it. think thirty-four times. This may be the thirty-fifth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you're pragmatist, if you're a pragmatist, you should be open to it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let's uh, let's not be theoretical about it. Let's be practical. So from then, what then? Uh, then I went on. And I worked. Uh, I got a job at Charles Schwab, and at Schwab at the time had this group called the Schwab 500. The Schwab 500 is initially was the top 500 of clients of the firm. And so what I said, I was studying for my CMT and I need somebody to kind of practice on. So these people were coming in that they were, you know, they got loads of money and that and they were the most active guys. And so what I started doing is I started working in these conversations uh, about, you know, what's where, you know, 
you know, you're buying it here. Well, did you look at where support is and things like that? It was it was a Socratic way of giving advice. And before you know it, I had all I had lines of people that wanted to talk to me and the other people didn't have anybody to talk with because everybody wanted wanted this coaching. Yeah. Well, and then one day the the you know the, the big wigs of the firm came to me and they were like, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Hey, listen, here's the deal. In a in a few short months, Telebroker is going away and everybody's going to be able to place their trades online. If we don't start adding value through advice, we're not going to have these jobs." Mm-hmm. Well, they 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 bit hard on that and we formed this Charles Schwab technical analysis team. So that's wow. that's really how we uh, and so if you hear those commercials value for advice, that's where it all started. <laughs> some technician giving some coaching uh, the, the active traders. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> so what year was that, Buff? When were you at Schwab? Uh, well, I that's that was probably like it's probably 95 to maybe 90, 98, somewhere around there. Right. But yeah, what a tremendous amount of change. And necessity is the mother of invention, right? You have to adapt <laughs> to survive. <laughs> Incredible. Fantastic. Okay, so we're going to talk about a lot of things, but in particular, we're going to talk about volume. So before we get into how you think about it and and what kind of led you to thinking about it the way you do, let's just first talk about volume itself. You know, volume has been a staple, sort of a foundation of technical analysis since the late 1800s, Dow Theory, and of course, uh, Edwards and McGee, and all these books have taught us about the importance of volume and, and whatnot. So uh, in, in over the course of, you know, the decades, we ha- we now have many, many indicators that are, that are volume-based on, on balance volume and various money flow indicators and the like. And and so we've done a lot of uh, studying and, and developed a lot of analysis and, and indicators around this concept. So I, I guess my question for you was, what was it that got you to take the next step in the evolution of your thinking on volume? Was it, is what you've done, is it incremental to what we already knew? Or was it something where you thought, this is just not helpful. This is, there's something wrong with this analysis. This is the way to do it. Well, it's both. So you think about a trade that takes two things. It takes price and it takes volume. Almost all the research is done just on volume sibling being price. But if you read about volume research, and it's an area where academia, academia has a lot of agreement with, with, with technical analysis. A lot of has been written there. And if volume truly leads price, and if volume truly confirms price, why wouldn't someone want to use volume in, 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 their, in their trading? Nonetheless, it seemed like if that's true, why is volume being so much neglected? So my my first thought and my first uh, concept is why we're using moving averages. Why not add volume to the moving average? And so that was my my first development is adding uh, creating the volume weighted moving average on on prices. And then and that's added a lot of effectiveness. Did some studies on that where yeah you you not only get in trades quicker. You not only were the volume weighted moving average is more reliable, uh, those two products allowed you to reduce risk and increase return. So if you're if using volume in this sense that came to the next piece, and this is the piece that isn't being used. This is being way under underutilized. And this is really the, the one of the key concepts. If you can differentiate between price and a, a volume weighted price, that nexus that asymmetry between what's happening in price trend versus what's happening in a way to in a volume weighted price trend that really gives you the key difference of where volume is really supporting that price so it's the asymmetry between trend you know price trend alone and a volume weighted price trend and that it that gives you really the key indications to understand how to to utilize volume not tick by tick, bar by bar. Um, it's it's more about price is best utilized under trends. That just that could be price alone, but also price momentum. So, Buff, without going too deep into the mathematics uh, behind uh, the concept, can can you illustrate just briefly for our audience what you mean by volume weighted prices? What, what's the concept there? So conceptually, what that means is when you're looking at, let's say if you're just to to calculate a two-day moving average and one day the price was, first day, day one, the price is eight, next day the price closes at 10. 
Well, mm-hmm. the, the average between the two would be nine. Okay, yes. so we're, that's just price alone. But what's let's say that twice as many shares were purchased at 10 rather than eight? Well, the true uh, price where people traded at, with the average price where people traded at wasn't nine, it was nine and a half. If twice mm-hmm. as many people bought at 10 rather than, than nine. And so that's really what we're looking at is is the difference between uh, price alone and mm-hmm. volume weighted price. The difference between uh, is the stock higher or lower than the, than than the average where actually people participated in versus actually what the what the price uh, average is. That makes that makes perfect sense. And uh, yeah. before before we move on from this concept, you you mentioned a phrase at the outset saying that volume leads price. And so I want to unpack this for our listeners and and for myself, selfishly. The way I understood volume in markets was that uh, you're looking, as Charles H. Dow told us, you know, it's a confirmatory indicator. And a lot of great work has been done looking at, you know, blow off tops or at uh, capitulation at the bottom, looking for really heavy volume at those turning points. But that the initial up move in a trend begins with price and then volume adds to that until it ends. And same thing to the downside. So what you're saying is the reverse of maybe a commonly misunderstood concept, or at least uh, what, I, what I misunderstood. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Well, th- there's, you know, there's a lot of different trading environments, a lot of different market environments, and volume isn't used always the same way in, in, in each kind of pattern. Uh, but there's different, but the way I believe volume as the most value, I'm not saying it doesn't add value because it certainly does add value uh, in, in a bar by bar uh, trading environment. Okay. Mm-hmm. It adds value in under, and when you're using it within stock uh, pattern formations, it's mm-hmm. sometimes even the key piece. But mm-hmm. where I believe and my work has shown that where volume as the greatest value is with inside trends. And so mm-hmm. what, what I mean by volume leads price is that generally, let's, let's just say you're a, a big institution, you want to put on a position that you don't own. And mm-hmm. so what's in order to put that position on, you're going to work in that position without trying to move the market, assuming that you have a lot of assets which could move the price. And mm-hmm. so what you can hide and manipulate uh, that those operations, okay, by the way you place your trades, but you can't hide the volume. The volume right. is always, you know, so they talk about dark markets. Volume is always a market. It's, you can't hide it. It's there. And so over time to build this position before price starts to move, the volume comes first. You'll see changes in volume before you'll see uh, before you see those big price breakouts. Volume is building and it's leading up, and it also works on the other way too. Um, Mm. Before an institution would uh, unload a position or or series of institutions, you got to remember most of these analysts are all reading the same books. They all believe in the same principles, and they're going to always mostly do the same things. And Mm. so because of that, it's not generally when I say an institution, it's usually people that have all the same beliefs because they all they they all drinking the same Kool Aid and all doing the same thing. And what we're Mm. trying to do with volume is to understand what these people are doing. We're not driving a, a, a big tanker tanker here. What we're doing is we're, we're driving a speedboat so we can we can see what these people with the direction that they're headed and beat them hmm. to the point. That's what volume does. And that's what I mean by volume leading price. Gotcha. Gotcha. Looking at looking at the money flow ahead of changes in price. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, that that actually that makes a fair amount of sense. And I, if, if, if what I if what I hear um, your your comments on about volume is is more that it's up until now, or at least maybe it's the way it's been done historically. It's it's more been a um, I don't know if I'd characterize it as a misuse of volume or an underutilization of the of the Im- implicit message of what's happening in volume is more been what's driven you to develop what you've done versus something wrong with the actual data point of volume itself. And I and I, I tr- I'm trying to distinguish the two because. Um, I'm I'm in the camp, and I have been for a long time. That that 
the way that the market in particular has changed over the past 20 years, volume is just not nearly as um, as usable as it as it was say pre 90 with with, with with the decimalization of trading and the introduction of ETFs and you know back in the day when when it, when a RAA or or or, or other uh, allocator wanted to gain access to uh, uh, industrials or some some other sector, they would go in and say, okay, I want to buy industrials, I want to get overweight industrials, so I'm going to buy these four stocks because I think they're the best fundamentally. And then you would see the volume pattern take place in those four stocks relative to everything else. Today, it's it's very easy to just go in and say, just buy the XLI. And so now the volume gets spread out and it's just nowhere near the same message it used to be. And I, and I wonder, um, do you think that the way that you're massaging the volume data addresses that problem or even in, in the case of your analysis that it still struggles with the fact that we've that the, the structure of the market has just changed over the past 20 years? The, the structure of the market has definitely changed. I don't think it, it impacts individual stocks, but it has a, had a huge impact on indexes. And so mm. for that reason, I haven't used traditional index uh, volume data in probably two and a half decades. And so yeah. what I've done to repair that si situation, Dave, it's actually a very, very good question. So in around the mid 2000s, I, I, I came to realize the things that you're talking about. That's when we decimalization hadn't came to its, its, its in the fullness yet. But that's when we, we were used. We were still using fractions, but the fractions were getting tinier. And so um, index data of the volume is, is you know, well, let me take a step back. Volume is all about its relationship to price. That is what, that is how you use volume analysis most effectively and how it relates to price. And unfortunately, the index data that we, that, that is uh, widely used and, and, and published it's just it's just not very it's, it's actually garbage It's garbage data. So, mm -hmm. for instance, if you were to look, most people follow the broad market, they're going to be looking at the S&P 500. But when you pull up a chart and you look at the at the S&P 500 volume, you're not even getting S&P 500 volume. You're going to be getting the New York Stock Exchange uh, volume. So it's not even this. They're, they're not even matching. But let's mm -hmm. just say if you, or if you're on a platform that did actually offer S&P 500 volume. That data is also worthless as well. And, and the reason being is that the S&P is a capital weighted index, meaning that the, the larger capital stocks garner the most capital. Like for instance, right now, probably it's the, you know, the top 10, uh, 10 stocks are 30% of an index with 500. So um, give you an example of where this is was really bad was during the the was during the um, great Re great recession, and so what what did you have there during during that uh, 2008 time frame is you had a, a stock Citigroup. Citigroup um, was I think one of the top five stocks in the S and P. Um, at yeah. at the start of the collapse of the of the at the end of the collapse of the market. By 2009, Citigroup was like 0.1% of the price of it was that was its price component of the S&P. Mm. But its volume was 20 to 30% of all the volume of, of the stock market. So what was happening is, is that the tiny stocks, the little bitty stocks that trade lots of volume, they are all tallied up. Okay, and and that and so what you're seeing is the volume of those stocks that that those penny stocks that don't mean anything, whereas the volume of the big stocks, like if you think now the Magnificent Seven, most of those stocks are prices in the in the hundreds, and so their volume because their 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 stock prices are higher and their cap weight is absolutely a mammoth, they're not being uh they're they're it's not being related correctly to 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 the volume. So what I did in the early two in the early early mid two thousands is I figured out a formula to try to correct that. Now the problem I had a couple problems with that. One is there wasn't a software that had all the components that I needed to to cr create this uh, to create capital weighted volume. Then uh, Don Warren's group came out with a software that actually could could compute this. So I I computed it. We built it this out. 
But there was another problem. It took 18 hours to to figure out the what, what to get the end output on the S&P. And so that it was really wasn't really viable because it you know they, you got your your signal you got the information in the market it was already was already trading. So I only used it on weekly data. Now what I've done is I've added price to that. And when we add price to that, that creates capital weighted dollar volume. So we have capital weighted volume now we have capital weighted dollar volume. And in instance, what capital weighted dollar volume does is if you buy a stock in the S&P 500, that is, and let's say that that came from earned income, that's new money entering the, the market, okay? That's capital inflows. And if, but if you were to sell a stock and go out and uh, buy, buy yourself uh, a new condo, that's money leaving the market. And so what we're able to do through capital weighted dollar volume is to actually track how much money is moving in to the penny to actually how much money is moving out. And now with computers, the way that they, you know, with the, the, the incredible in innovation that we had with uh, uh, computers, that, that doesn't take 18 hours. It can literally be done in a second. One click a button, we can figure out how much money came in versus how much money came out in one day. Mm -hmm. And you're referencing uh, Don Warden, who won the annual award in '94 from the MTA. Yeah, that, his software company, yes. Awesome. Don Warner, Warner was he was another volume guy. Uh, don't don't underestimate his contributions to, to volume. Uh, he was he was a, a you know he, he had a lot of innovation in in, in the volume. He was uh, it, uh, Barini's money flow. That was his. He invented that in the 1950s. Uh, no boy. <laughs> 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 and his sons continue to uh, to carry the torch and and run the business today, correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. Excellent. So I, you, I don't know if you've uh, if you've done any reading from uh, John Hussman, who's who's uh, he's done quite a bit of writing on this notion of capital flows in and out of the market. And I've, over the years, I've kind of come to agree with the way he thinks about it in the sense that there is the only way money actually flows into or out of the market permanently is either through uh, an IPO where new money comes in and no money comes out because you're actually literally buying a new security or a company gets bought out and the company, uh, uh, the larger company absorbs that company entirely and, the, and, and that money comes out of the market and the money that was paid to the, the owner of the shares at the time now has the cash. So that literally is money coming out of the market. All of the transactions are, indistinguishable between money coming in and out because for every dollar coming into that transaction there's a, in that very moment there's a dollar coming out so how do, how do you see that differently this is one of the things so, I've always yeah i see with that i see that flow. differently I, I definitely see that differently so the, the way i compute it is i look at all the, if a stock goes up that's that's demand okay and mm -hmm. if a stock goes down that's supply so for every buyer, there there's definitely a seller, okay? And so there's an interaction b between the two, okay? But if if that goes if that trade happens on an uptick, the demand is greater than the supply. And if that trade goes through on a downtick, then there's more supply and demand. And at the end of the closing day is the end of the of the game per se, and that tells you how much demand versus how much supply who who won the 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 battle between supply and demand? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess maybe the distinction I'm making just to be I want to be clear in my own mind, but I also want to make sure that we're we're portraying it the right way for our listeners. And that I what the way you described it was just then was perfect because I think I, I see the distinction in the sense that I'm not I'm not talking, or I, I don't believe you're talking about actual money flow that's uh, going into and leaving the market. Because that's always a net net zero. Because for every dollar going in, there's a dollar going up. What you're talking about is the the net effect of that activity on the movement of price. Therefore, um, helping us better understand whether or not in that moment supply exceeded demand, or vice versa. That's correct. Okay. All right. That's that's interesting. Okay. So you you've in 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 the various discussions and presentations you've done on this really interesting topic you've you've made some what i thought were some pretty cool observations and i i'm a big fan of um using analogies and comparisons to to 
explain really complex concepts. And so one of the things you've said in your presentations, which I just think is really profound, is that is, is if price is the DNA of the market, then volume is the RNA of price. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. So price, what is price? So price is, is a component of all the information that, that people have. So to make to make a uh, to make an investment decision. So when someone when you have price, it takes a buyer and a seller to meet, as we we mentioned before, and the and it, it encompasses what you know all the information, all the knowledge, all the opinions is in price. So price is essentially uh, the DNA of the stock market. It's is the D. It's that central building block that constructs uh, markets and market trends. Now, what what's you know it's it's interesting that you know post COVID people are more aware of what of RNA. RNA is it is what it is what decodes price. So in 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 biology, RNA is that is the is the mechanism that which the the uh, organism understands. Uh, price. It is the interpreter of what that of what that of, of what that code means. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. in the same sense, that's what volume is. Volume helps you decode what price is saying. So if yeah. if um, so, you may have all the information, but how do you de- how do you decode that? And volume helps you is that decoder that tells you what does that actually mean. As I as I said in the beginning. It takes two things for price to occur. It takes it takes uh, a price. You know the, the buyers and sellers agree, and that agreement is price. But it also has to have volume, and the more volume is in there relative to the past, the more that volume is kind of like if if it is kind of like um, and it, using another um, analogy, volume decodes or is the lie detector. Of, mm. of of what's happening with 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 uh, with price. Mm-hmm. You know, Buff. When we were together in Chicago, uh, gave that presentation to the students. I uh, referenced Mark Abraham's great trend following investor, and his famous quote is that ultimately it is the dollar weighted collective opinion of all market participants that determines whether a stock goes up or down, and this consensus is revealed by analyzing price. So to, you you clarified you contradicted or uh, added to that. Uh, it, the it, idea it's, that it's, yeah, his first thing is the dollar weighted. So right. if it's dollar weighted, that that implies is it's how many. It's it's also not just the price. It's 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 yeah. weighted. It's it's weighted by dollars by money. So that's the, the, volume. the volume piece. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So so um, I think if I, I think I. Uh, Right, you know, up until now, you've you've talked about the the volume weighted uh, price and the volume volume weighted moving averages, and, and, and to my understanding, that's that's a component or a subcomponent of the ultimate indicator, which is the VCPI. Is that correct to say? That's that's one of the indicators that that I use that this determines the asymmetry between a price trend and a, a volume weighted price trend. Right. And so to kind of so what we use the VPCI for. Is if that if there's uh, so think about price uh, going up is 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 greed, and and volume is the fuel of the market. So think about volume like this. So if you're if you're flying an airplane, and you want that airplane to go a higher trajectory, you change the trajectory, and if you do that and you don't do anything else, that plane is likely to. If you're a pilot, you know it's going to stall. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't have the fuel that it needs, and but in volume is the fuel of the market. So more and more people willing to participate at ever increasing prices. That's that's the money. That's the fuel of the market, and that and that's and that's the volume. So what we're looking at is, and if if a market's moving higher, driven uh, let's say by greed, volume is the fuel to sustain uh, that uptrend. Mm-hmm. Now, if the market's going higher and fewer and fewer people are willing to participate 
at those ever-increasing prices. Now you don't have volume with energy, but actually with entropy. And so mm. that trend doesn't have the fuel. It, it lacks fewer people willing to come in. And so that trend is likely likely to stall. Mm. And so what, what we're doing with the VPCI is understanding whether that volume is confirming the price or that or contradicting the price. Okay. Of that trend, not right. not just the uh, you know the bar by bar. It's the trend again. Volume right. is most effective within the trend of movements. Not um, it's useful in the in the bar by bar situation uh, and pattern situation, but it's most effective in understanding the how the volume relates to trend. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you've repeated that because that that's something that I think our listeners really need to be aware of that this. I think that's actually one of the distinctions in what you're doing here, because in in my use of volume, what I've always thought about was in the moment, particularly on breakouts, looking for heavy volume breakouts and things like that. Um, but in 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 the years I've been doing this, I, I can point to as many trends that have happened on low and falling volume, and it could the stock could go up 50, 60 percent, even though volume wasn't increasing or wasn't wasn't necessarily powerful. But as long as it broke out on heavy volume, that's what I really cared about. But then I could also find plenty of trends that happened on heavy volume. And the way I've always thought about volume is that volume, increasing volume represents or signifies um, a conflicting view. There's, you know, as the price goes up, there's more people that want to buy. Yes, but there's also more people that want to sell. So there's disagreement. And and so I, I wonder, like, how, how do you think about trends that can be go up 50, 60 percent, despite the fact that volume is falling as related to stocks and trends that can go up 50 to 60 percent on expanding volume? I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we are trading price and price is what we buy and sell. Um, do, you, do you view there, a dis- there to be a disconnect there or, or does the way that you work volume into your models, does it accommodate for the fact that? volume can actually be declining overall uh, as the price goes up, as long as the relationship between buyers and sellers is tilted towards a more uh, uh, more uh, eagerness to get in uh, from the from the buyers versus get out from the sellers. So let me, let me say two things in the in the there, there's the VPCI is written in is a is a is a code. OK, and so it gives you a good what, what that code is designed to do is to tell you if volume is supporting price. So generally, if volume is supporting the price trend, that you're going to see positive high high VPCI readings. Okay, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for uh, stocks that have that if if the trend is moving higher, I want the VPCI to be moving high, moving up, and um, higher. Okay, and Sometimes you, I mean, you may not see it with the by looking at the at the volume bars, but the VPCI could be moving down, and you think that you you still think that the volume bars are still supporting it, not necessarily. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to get at. So you mm-hmm. you do see it, that disconnect. It, that's interesting. It's understanding the asymmetry. Uh, right. And, exactly. Exactly. It, but doesn't mean it's going to work all the time. All the yeah. time either. You know, there's there's yeah. there's times there's lots of times where it doesn't work, but over time. Um, it, 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 it has worked very good and, and doing a 20 year study on the S and P 500 from 2000 to 2020, if you bought the, the, the VPCI, the top 10%, the stocks with the, the highest VPCI in the S and P, um, you made 3% more than just owning the S and P. So you annualized mm-hmm. return 3% plus in the highest VPCI stocks. That's, uh, let me explain that one more time Buy the top 10% VPCI. You have to have a selling, and then you sell it when it sells off the, the top 50%. So buy the top 10%, sell the top 50. So so the way you've explained it, I, I just it just made me just think now, and, and particularly when you just compared it to the index, does at the end of the day, when you look at the top 10% of the VPCI stocks, is it biased to large caps? It it. it it's no, it's 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 not biased to. Well, I mean, it, in the S and P five hundred is all large caps. Of but course. as far as the higher capitalized ones, no, it does. It's it's just whatever the the indicator spits out. Right. So so it's it, it's it, not it, like you're it's, it's not like you're 
cap weighting volume. And so therefore, you're what you're really benefiting from is the fact that large caps are doing well. This is actually you could see in the S&P 500, which is 500 of the largest companies. If you if you rank them by their VPCI readings and you buy the top 10 percent, you couldn't you could theoretically own the 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 uh, 10 percent smallest stocks from a market cap perspective in the S&P 500 in this analysis. Yeah, you could. Yeah. yeah. You, you don't know what you're going to own. Yeah. So yeah. Buff, right there, you're talking about uh, using VPCI to drive performance. Uh, but isn't it also part of your methodology to uh, to control risk? How, how do you use it on the other side of the equation? Well, I don't use the VPCI necessarily in my cell process because in what do things I rank it. So I'm ranking things. I buy things that have the attributes that I'm looking for. Uh, and VPCI is one of those attributes that, that I use. And so if the VPCI is lower, it's going to come out. But I think to kind of get in the context of your question is what I'm looking for is, is if the VPCI is, is winding down, um, that means that I would be cautious of that stock. And if yeah. the VPCI is negative, I mean, cross, it crosses like the zero line, goes negative, and is trending down. That would be something I'd be concerned about holding a, a holding a position. Gotcha, gotcha. And maybe another way to ask it uh, is just, you know, how do you think about, uh, you know, your defense strategy versus your offense strategy? And uh, you, I wanted to cue you up uh, for that great analogy uh, using uh, using the football metaphor. So employing volume as a factor. Uh, allows uh, allows you to play a very strong uh, defense. And to give you an example of what that defense would be is I'm looking at capital-weighted volume and capital-weighted dollar volume. When those trends are up, we are, we are on offense. And that's when we then put our, our volume factor offense on the field where we're trying to find where which factors, which sectors, uh, which industries, which individual stocks are garnering the most capital? And so we're gonna, we're our offense is on the field, uh, and, and and because we're in a because the capital weighted volume and the capital weighted dollar volume are in uptrends. Mm-hmm. Now last year those trends turned negative. Capital weighted dollar volume, capital weighted um, uh, volume, both went negative, and so that meant that we we. Are, uh, as a portfolio manager, knowing that information, you, you should take your offense off the field and put a defensive portfolio on. Let, and so last year in our strategies, we mostly moved to T-bills uh, uh, when, uh, when these trends shifted. So um, defense is, is to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're and when you're holding them, finding on offense, knowing uh, the the knowing where that money's flowing and trying to be in those issues that are garnering the most capital. Mm-hmm. But there's also an important piece. If you're on defense, you have to know how to get back to offense. Yeah. So football teams have have a special unit for that. They call them special teams. Okay, special teams help help are specifically designed for that transition from defense back to offense. And in the markets, that transition is extremely important because generally in most bull markets, the biggest money is made in the birth of the new bull. Mm. From the flip from being a bear market to being a bull market, that's where a a big part of of the overall move is made in that birth of new bull market. And so – to have a strategy that is able to identify when when is it time to put the offense back on so you don't miss that big move. Because if you're a trend follower, by definition, you're not going to catch the beginning or the end of any move. It's, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So having a special teams unit to be able to identify that, uh, that opportunity for, to switch from defense back, back to offense. Yeah. So our special teams uses utilizes the VPCI for the is precisely this piece. So let me ask you guys: Do you guys know anybody that is always right? <laughs> My wife. 
<laughs> that is precisely the right answer. <laughs> that, Sometimes that is, my daughter. That is the right answer. Okay, so yeah. you only know one person that's always right. But yeah. you probably know several people that are always doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Is that right? Yes, yes. That'd be me. My name <laughs> I know that's not you, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> so there's a place where you can find – wouldn't it be nice to know who these people are so you could just do the opposite? Well, there's yeah. a place where all these people that are always doing the wrong thing at the wrong time congregate. And that's in an ETF with the ticker symbol SPY. That's the spider ETF. So the spider does the exact same thing the S&P does. If it's moving up, it moves up. If it's moving down, the S&P, uh, the spider does exactly the same thing. There's no difference. But what differentiates the spider from the S&P 500 is who owns it and its volume. And so to identify a, a capitulation point, the setup is, is we're looking for that spider volume to go up 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%, sometimes 100% or more. That is telling you that all these investors that are driven by their emotions of greed that probably bought in because they of the fear of missing out, Mm-hmm. and driven by fear are now selling because they're losing money. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for the volume and the spider to really expand. Uh, I should say it, it, it explode. The volume yeah. is really ex, uh, is exploding the spider. Mm-hmm. So that is the setup to know that when the market's down more than 10%, it's dropping very rapidly, and the volume is building in the spider, that's telling you those retail traders are selling out. Now, the trigger is you can't really see this with the naked eye, but when the VPCI reveals that that asymmetry between price and volume of the spider has shifted and is starting to turn up, that is the that is the kind of the dark point before the bond where you say, hey, this is where all those all those weak handed investors have sold out. You know, their selling pressure is starting to dissipate. And that's the point to get back in. And so um, last year, um, we had a what we call a W bottom. That's not a deep VPCI bottom, but two shallow VPCI bottoms in a row. Mm-hmm. And that's the W bottom. That happened on, on uh, September 30th of uh, 2022, which was actually the low of the market. Mm-hmm. Then we had a couple VPCI bottoms uh, also in 2022. V- VPCI bottoms that led to um, uh, market pauses. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, there were actually profitable trades. And some. so sometimes what happens is the VPCI V bottom or W bottom will actually just be a pause. And f- so for that reason, I suggest using a time stop, like 30, mm-hmm. 60, 90 days. And then if the market, if the capital weighted volume hasn't turned back up again, exit the trade. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I would say that probably in my study of the last 20 years, going back to uh, 2003, the VPCI V and W bottoms are accurate probably about 90 percent of the time, meaning that you get in the low within the within about a week of the actual low of the market. That doesn't. Mm -hmm. yeah, and by 90%, I mean it's either the absolute bottom or it's a it's a profitable trade 30, 60, or 90 days. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the VPCI bottom before that uh, was in 2000, um, March, I think it was 19th, which, which was actually two days before the pandemic low. 2020, yeah. 2020. 2020, yep. 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 Gotcha. So um, I, I think um, I, I, what, what I'd love to do is um, I have a couple more questions for you, but I also want to save some time to get your current perspective on the market because obviously there's a lot going on within the S&P that's very different from what most stocks are doing. And my understanding is what you're really doing is uh, decomposing volume, building volume at the individual stock level, and then recomposing it into, into a volume indicator. So I'd be really curious to hear what you're what you're seeing in the market today. But before we get into that, I, w- I want to just ask you two quick questions. One is, when you have you done this analysis on other asset classes like um, commodities and crypto and and uh, other other things that um, that might lend themselves that do lend themselves to volume, and but also have you know the volume in particular can have some issues with those various asset classes. Does this help with that at all? Have you ever looked at that? I, 
I'm strictly an equity guy. Um, yeah, I would think in theory, as long as the data is good, it, it all it's, this is this is all about behavioral science. It, 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 and so it should work on commodities. It should work on crypto. Uh, I've had people tell me uh, not on crypto, but on on commodities that that they they found it effective. I've, I've had people tell me it's been effective in, in in currencies, but that has not been my personal experience. I just don't trade those. OK. Um, and then the uh, just on that sort of on that same question in terms of uh, where where else does this work? That one of the questions I always like to ask with respect to a technical concept is also does it work across timeframes? And I'm just curious if because of the the very nuanced nature and how you're linking price to volume on a given day, does it make sense to look at this this analysis on the weekly chart and on the monthly chart, which can really kind of mash things together inappropriately if you do it that way? Does it have to be done on the daily chart? Oh no! No, I I use I use primarily weekly. So I yeah. you know I'm I'm a position trader. So I'm using weekly, daily. I tell you, it works on daily. If it doesn't work, um, on daily, weekly, or monthly, it only works on one. It doesn't work at all. That's my opinion. Yeah, it, mm, it, yeah. it's got to work on all three, or it doesn't work at all. Now, where it doesn't make where it doesn't work, and and there's a reason by it is intraday. It, because mm. we're looking at trends and volume, intraday is kind of U shaped. Most of the volume either happens in the open open or the close, you know, looking at the trends on it, on a, on intraday, um, it, it's going to throw it off. Right. So, so, uh, but on the, on the daily, weekly, monthly, you know, it, all that. Yeah. It, it, it yeah, it, it's, it, it all, you know, it's, it's effect equally effective across any of those assets, any of those timeframes. Okay. Um, and then before we get to your, your outlook, um, what, what about, um, outside of volume analysis where you're managing, a portfolio for clients are there other because you you said yourself that this is not a holy grail it's not right all the time so i'm assuming it's part of a mosaic um and if that's right what else what else do you look at uh, as part of your your security selection in market analysis process okay so i think the most important piece and i know that you would you you would agree that with this is is just being able to be tactical to so being able to shift from offense to defense, back or and having a special teams component, that is that's the critical piece because it's all about it's you know risk is you know everybody the, all the focus is on on return, but risk is really where it's at. And if you can lose less, it's a lot easier uh, to make more. So almost mm. uh, all my strategies are based around how to be tactical. And understand where is their opportunity, and to be able to sidestep when when there when there's risk. You know, it's kind of like looking at looking at health. Okay, you you want to you want to be in the market when it's when it's health healthy, uh, not when it's injured. Okay. Yeah. So that's my primary thing. That 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 said, um, we use the volume to determine what areas are in what areas are vogue. Where is that money moving? And I want to be in those areas. Okay. Now, outside of that, I do use strategies that employ uh, some fun that some uh, fundamental uh, analysis principles. Like, for instance, um, if I'm in a, I, I believe in um, in these goal-based outcomes and volatility. Managing volatility is really important, but also people are going to have a goal of income, and so so that people can live off the, the fruit of their portfolio. And so in, in when building an income uh, growth strategy uh, through dividend stocks, obviously the stocks got to pay dividends. I think that they should all grow their dividends. So I'm looking at those quasi-technical, quasi-fundamental factors of dividends. And then I'm using the fundamental factor of quality free cash flow. So I like to look at stocks that have that are in the top decile or the top quintile of free cash flow because that tells me that these stocks, these these stocks not only are paying a dividend and raising their dividend, but they have the the capacity through free cash flow to to be able to pay that dividend out and and in the future raise it. So right. that is that is one of the factors that I use in my uh, income analogy or my student not analogy my income portfolios. Uh, to uh, uh, to position uh, investors for for yield yield and yield growth. Yeah, makes sense. So you're using you're using volume and your volume analysis to help you 
direct your attention and then using these other screening tools to help you be more specific. Yeah, but so it has to, to give have you a, a very criteria. specific. Yeah, yeah, to give you a very specific, what I'm doing is I'm looking at like the Russell 3000, which is made up of the Russell One and the Russell Two, and I'm looking at the stocks that of those stocks, which ones pay dividends and which ones are the which are the top 50 percent div dividend growers. Okay, and then what I'm doing is that what are the top um, stocks that are in the top decile or the top quintile of free cash flow, depending on if it's a large or small. Yeah. That narrows my universe down to 200 stocks. Then once I have that 200 stocks, every quarter I re-rank them according to the volume factor. Right. That that tells me which ones I sh of those 200s are 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 ripe for uh for the uh, for the current market environment. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, speaking of which, current market environment. Uh, let's hear it. What are you what are you thinking here? I mean, you've got a really unique lens into into the technical uh, landscape here, you definitely think about things differently. So I suspect you might have a slightly different view. So what, what are you thinking on the market here today? What's the volume picture telling you? So as I mentioned before, it all to set it all up, we had that capitulation bottom that, uh, that happened uh, last day of the quarter of 2022, first day of the quarter, uh, 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 fourth quarter of 2022 of third and fourth quarter. Yeah. Okay. That was the setup for the for the re-entry. Since then, uh, capital weighted volume, dollar volume. That's the money uh, of the dollars. Yes, the price and volume together um, has broken out into all-time highs. So the market is still way off its 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 peak. Uh, it's what December 2021, early 2022 highs. But capital-weighted dollar volume is significantly higher, uh, meaning is at all-time new highs. That tells me that there's that the money flow, the cap, the the the, the uh, is extremely is is extremely bullish. And so, um, you know, I like the market uh, in, in in just from that uh, respect alone. Two is that. Capital weighted volume has also now just recently broke out into a, a new high. And so now both capital weighted dollar volume and capital weighted volume are confirming each other. So now at all time highs, this is mm -hmm. this is very bullish. So the volume does lead to price. Um, the fact that these are already at new highs suggests that the market could make a new high. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking that I, I'm I'm very bullish. Now, more recently, what's happening is has been really interesting. Um, this most of this capital flow, and the reason I think you're seeing dollar volume being so much uh, leading, just just volume, is because of the of of that magnificent seven, uh, those very uh, the you know the 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 top the the most capitalized issues in the S and P. Those are those are where the money has has been has been going, but last week, um, capital weighted dollar dollar volume was down. Whereas the advanced decline line was up, capital weighted volume was up, and the Russell 3000, I think, was up three percent. So what I'm starting, what I'm, what that tells me is that we're starting to see a shift of money rotating, as you mentioned before, with Hussman moving from one area to the uh, to another area. So it could be that money's not necessarily leaving stocks, but switching from these mega caps down mm. down into the to the stocks that that have have been mostly neglected yeah. by this uh, S and this twenty percent S and P run and moving back or rotating back into those into those uh, to those smaller stocks, those dividend paying stocks, those that those stocks that are that that um, have have um, avoided. Um, or not actually avoided, but haven't participated um, in the case of dividends, not hardly at all. In the case of small, hardly uh, participated in the in the in the in the uh, bull market. The other thing that's interesting, looking intermark in intermarket analysis, that seems to correlate with the ten-year Treasury yield dropping. So that these yep. seems these things seem to be working working hand in hand. Right. So overall, my picture is is very bullish. I, um, and it looks like the market is moving in, is is rotating right now, at least here late fourth quarter into some of those uh, neglected names, maybe setting those up for 2024. And, and if I, I if I understood you correctly, because this is a, this is a, um, a, a, a small nuance, 
um, but it's it sounds like and it kind of understand understandably would be an important one. But did, did you did you draw this the distinction between capital weighted dollar volume and capital weighted volume? Yes. Is that is that why is that why you're seeing the the flow change? Yes. So the yeah. dollar volume it has been leading leading just volume. Yes. Okay. Makes perfect it has sense. Been, it has been strongly leading last yes. week. Dollar volume actually was down, although the S&P 500 was up. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's telling me that that money is leaving those high capitalized stocks and being repositioned into those other areas that, that haven't participated in the market as much, like the small caps, like the dividend stocks, like much of the broader market uh, outside of maybe those magnificent seven. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're coming up on an hour here, Tyler. Yes. Uh, I say we go for three or four more because uh, okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you could get a PhD in volume analysis, Buff has it. And uh, <laughs> there's there's always so much more to explore. Well, these uh, are great I, questions. Well, and, and uh, you know, the time that we spent together in Chicago, Buff, uh, just, just even understanding what you have to go through to get cap-weighted volume. Uh, I mean, the... Uh, you know, the concept, I think, is uh, very easily understood by lots of folks, but the um, the ability or the, uh, the the fortitude to get through decomposing all of the volume data and then putting it back together, I think, is uh, just a tremendous effort that you have put in and uh, and something really remarkable to to get to these tools, to get to something that has this kind of meaning for uh, for market analysis. Um, as we as we come to the end, uh, I did want to uh, to ask you a little bit about uh, your passion for for academia. Uh, not only have you have you done a lot of first author research uh, for the Journal of Technical Analysis, winning the the Charles H. Dow Award, but you've also contributed countless hours of your own time and financial resources in supporting the uh, Student Managed Investment Fund Consortium. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about why that's such an important issue to you and, and kind of what you see in terms of the changing landscape for the academic world? So, so there's really two two parts to that. The first is, is that, you know, coming out of out of out of college and if you want to be a uh, a portfolio manager, if you want to uh, be a, be a trader, if you want to be in this industry, does the does that program help you? with it with that pursuit and my my experience was it did not and it, there really wasn't a lot that i could take from college that helped me in the selection uh, in, in security selection to be a portfolio manager um not that the, the experience wasn't extremely valuable it's just it just wasn't geared mm -hmm. and so a lot of people have, have had the same thoughts and so there's been there's people that have uh in doubt have have given a have donated money to the money to the college with a specific purpose, was mm -hmm. to, and that is to is to give these students the actual experience of investing money. You know, mm -hmm. investing. You know, you can learn a lot about in, investing, but until you have your own money in into it or someone else's money, which is even a higher responsibility, in my opinion, yeah, 100%. It, 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 you don't get the feel. Yeah. Right. You just don't get that same feel. So these student management endowments, the students actually get to, uh, as a group, in, uh, gain experiencing managing uh, the this the, the uh, an endowment. Yeah, uh, portion of the school's endowment. Yeah. And boy, how lucky are they to be able to sweat bullets and freak out and have all the anxiety that uh, managing money can induce in a human being, right? Right. It, yeah. And it kind of gets back. The second part of that gets back to where we started this conversation. Why is technical analysis important? Because it's practical. And now mm -hmm. that so that really opens the door to technical analysis, because now it's not theory anymore. It's actually money at work. And mm -hmm. so now you need a practical, uh, a practical way. So if we can combine this CMT, the technical analysis curriculum mm -hmm. into these student management uh, uh, funds. Uh, now we're giving these these students the tools uh, to uh, to practically uh, manage that money. And so now 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 they have a, they, they, they you know now they have now they, they have a reason, uh, a catalyst 
to 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 do well now we have now we bring in the solution to 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 solve this practical problem and that's technical analysis so i think the two together just make a lot of sense yeah Oh, very, very well said. And uh, we certainly have had a lot of guests here on Fill the Gap uh, that that attest to the fact that you learn a lot in an MBA program or an undergraduate finance degree that uh, is important knowledge, right, and understanding what drives long-term trends. But when it comes down to um, actually developing a discipline for placing trades without subjectivity with with a practical set of tools uh, to do that without technical analysis feels uh, feels a little bit like walking in the dark right you're, you're missing miss, missing an important lens well buff uh, I, I really appreciate you spending this time with with Dave and I and for all of our listeners I know uh, they're gonna be uh, diving into the textbooks to learn uh, a whole lot more uh, we did talk a little bit about your 2013 book investing with volume analysis. The title of next year's book, the 2024 release, is called The Volume Factor. Uh, we'll make sure to uh, add that to the show notes when the book is uh, widely available. Buff Dormeyer, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us. I'm looking forward to seeing you at some uh, some upcoming CMT events where we can have this conversation all over again uh, over a nice cold beverage. How's that? All time? right. I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. I'm going to hold you to it. Uh, hey, thanks for all of what you guys do, and thanks for and thanks so, so much for having me on and supporting and supporting my career. I, it's a uh, very thoughtful of you. Absolutely, Buff. We'll see you again real soon. Take right, care. Yeah, take care. God bless. Fill the gap is brought to you with support from Optima. In addition to candidate study of the official CMT curriculum, Optima provides a full video course on all of the material that candidates need to know for each level of the CMT exams. Each course is broken up into modules ranging from 15 to 45 minutes, depending on the complexity and length of the topics being covered. Learn more at Optima.com.